My name is Mike Murphy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Church, and it's a pleasure to be with you here on December 27th. I got the short straw. No. <laughs> Guess what I did on Christmas? No, not really. This is really kind of fun. You know, we've been in this uh, Advent series called True Story. And, you know, as, and after most series here at the church, I'm a little bit of a skeptic. I can be a little cynical at times. I, I, I usually think after most sermon series, people say one of two things. Uh, one thing they say is, well, this is helpful. Now what? <laughs> and then I know people, because I know some of you. I know some of you very well. You say, well, this is the same old religious mumbo jumbo. So what? <laughs> I don't know what camp you're in, but it doesn't matter today. I'm really going to be speaking to those of you, I think, who want to go and ask the question, now what? But I'm doing it in the hopes that those of you who may have said, so what, that you might get excited about what the now what could mean for your life. I want to read, start today from the, with the Great Commission, and we're going to read it from the Message Version of the Bible. And it goes like this. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his, this, his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. So read the rest with me. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you, I'll be with you this day, day after day, right up to the end of the age. Chuck Swindoll is kind of a famous pastor from days gone by, and he kind of unpacked this in an interesting way. And he tells this story. He says, when Jesus left this earth to return from heaven, he was greeted by the angels who had planned a big homecoming party for him. And during the party, one of the littlest angels of all came and sat on his lap. The angel looks very carefully into Jesus' eyes and then said, Jesus, we are so glad you are back from your mission on earth. Uh, we watched your time there very closely. When we were, you were born, we couldn't restrain ourselves and we flew to Bethlehem so we could sing at your birth. We watched you give sight to the blind and even raise the dead back to life. We watched you wrestle with the Pharisees and we cried when you climbed the Calvary Hill. And we watched it all, birth, death, and resurrection. But all of us, I says, all of us angels have a question. You're here now, back in heaven. What's your plan for carrying on your work? And she looked so earnest, and all Jesus could do was just smile at her. Jesus has a great smile. Did you know that? I mean, it's just really, it's a cool smile. And, and then he, he just put her down on the ground, took her hand, and led her to a certain cloud in heaven. Now, there's this cloud in heaven. This is insights you don't get from anybody else but, but me. There's this cloud in heaven where he looked out over it, uh, and you can see all of human history. And Jesus, Jesus asked her to look. He says, I'm going to show you my plan. I'm going to show you my plan for carrying my work. And she looked down and he asked, who do you see? And she looked down and she said, well, I see, I see your mom. 
I see Mary Magdalene. I see, I see the guys that you walked with. And then they sped through human history, gets to the 20th, 21st century. Says, there's, she says, there's Bonhoeffer, there's Mother Teresa, there's Mama Ma- Maggie. And then Jesus pointed and, and said to her, who do you see right there? And the angel looked and said, well, I, I, I don't recognize him. I don't, I don't recognize the others. And Jesus replied, that good-looking man sitting on the stool is Mike Murphy. (laughs) Really, true. This is truth. (laughs) And the people in front of him are the people of Christ Church of Oak Brook. And the angel looked at him very quizzically and said, Jesus, I asked you what your plan was for carrying on your work. And you let me see all kinds of people over the centuries, and you end up with that guy and uh, the people of his church. She says, I just don't understand. And Jesus said to her, well, they are my plan. And then the little angel looked at Jesus. Jesus said, she said so sweetly, she said, but Jesus, what if your plan doesn't work? And Jesus said, it's got to. It's the only plan I got. <laughs> Say it with me. Point your finger like this. I'm the plan. Say it again. I'm the plan. You see, God is continuing to write a true story. And he wants us to write it with him. In a nutshell, that's the now what and the so what all wrapped up into one. When Jesus finally left this earth, his disciple ponders what he said. They waited for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then they started to tell a story that informs us even today. It's called the Acts of the Apostles. And here's one of those stories. I get excited every time I read this. This this says to me, this is church, all right? Will you read it with me? Everyone around was in awe. All those wonders and signs done through the apostles. And all the believers lived in a wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw, and every day their numbers grew as God added to those who were being saved. What a great story, isn't it? Come on, say, yeah, that's a great story. Wow, yeah, get excited about this. I read this story, and I yearn to continue to be part of it. For 28 chapters in the books of Acts, the story keeps unfolding, helping us to gaze into the lives of men and women who believe so deeply that they couldn't help but do life differently. They believe that they were the plan. Do you? Say it with me again. I'm the plan. But what if there were more chapters in the book of Acts? I know there's not. Just go with me on this. What if there was more than 28? What if the 29th chapter of Acts started like this? All right. I'll I'll read it. And the church grew even to Chicago, Illinois. And there the followers of Jesus moved into their own neighborhoods and suburbs where they became more and more like Jesus to the glory of God for the abundance of their own lives and for the sake of others. 
These were people who believed so deeply that they had no choice but to live life differently. And here are the stories of the people of Christ Church of Oak Brook. Pretty good, huh? You like that? You like that? But some of you, I know some of you, I know you skeptics out there go, well, that's silly. (laughs) Come on. Get serious. Get real, Mike. And the point is, I, I really am getting real. I really do believe God says to us, we're the plant. And I think he would add, add in his own way, he says, and don't you dare try to weasel out of it. <laughs> right? You're the plan. So how do we live as people of the 29th chapter of Acts? Well, here's some things God's been teaching me. Nothing happens, right, unless we're talking to and listening to God. I heard a great definition of prayer. I read it uh, just a couple days ago. Author Richard Rohr spoke about a visit with Nobel Peace Prize winner Desmond Tutu. Tutu said about prayer, he says, Richard, we're like light bulbs. Our job is to stay screwed in. (laughs) I love that. That spoke to me. I'm a simple guy. And more and more, I'm praying with open hands, trying to stay screwed in, as opposed to screwed up. Just want to stay screwed in, saying, do what you need to do in my life. I'm all yours. Frederick Buechner, kind of a 20th century author, said, uh, when, you, when you pray, maybe God will give you the grace to go where your best prayers take you. Don't you like that? He said, go where your best prayers take you take you. If we want to be people that are writing the 29th chapter of Acts, we go where our best prayers take you. And this is where I think my best prayers take me. I think for you, this might be the case. And I'm indebted uh, for this uh, little saying from my friend, Mark Lundgren, who actually heard it from a woman, uh, a bank vice president in Chicago. She said, she said, all of us need to cover the ground we stand on. Say that with me. Cover the ground we stand on. Uh, For some reason, that's been noodling around in my head for a while. You know, we are living in a time uh, when we feel sometimes like we're being held captive by world events. Would you agree with that? We don't know what to do with it. A long time ago, God allowed Israel to be led into captivity. And here's what he said to them about being held captive. He said, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Read this with me. Go on. Now now watch the simplicity of this. He says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your children. Oh, Oh, wait, wait, wait. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase the number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. I love this section of scripture because of its simplicity 
Jeremiah, I thought, was going to come up with a much more dramatic plan. But uh, basically what he's saying in this is this. Exile is pretty awful. And God is telling his people, I want you to learn to live well despite the awfulness. And it's not a good word for us in this day and age. Learn to live well despite the awfulness. He's asking them to trust him. He's basically saying, do your best to cover the ground you're standing on. And I'll use it for good. Do the ordinary things of life well. And he gives a promise later. He says, I'm going to deliver you. I've got a hope and a promise for you. We can do that. One of the things I know we can do for sure is cover the ground we've been given. And we can do it well. We can make it part of the plan God uses We can all day, every day, make someone else's day a good day. And how do we go about doing that? Leave a big tip. (laughs) Stop a fireman or cop, a fast food worker, a school crossing guard and say, thank you for what you do. Stop to really listen to that annoying co-worker. So, Tracy, I'll be, you know, I'll I'll be listening. And... uh, (laughs) chat up the Uber driver. One thing you could do is lay off the horn in the church parking lot. (laughs) You can play with your kids. You can be kind to customer service reps. Really, give up your seat on the train. Play with the kids in your neighborhood who don't have a mom or dad. Help an elderly neighbor. Educate yourself. Make and keep promises. Be loyal to the absent. Love your spouse. Pray for your ex. Teach Sunday school, squelch the rumor mill, stop the bully, give more generously. These are all ways that we begin to cover the ground we've been given. You know, Scripture tells us that we're to give our entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. Some of you get worked up, don't you? Don't get worked up about that. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Do whatever you can to cover the ground you've been given today. And the skeptics among you will say, oh, come on, Mike, really? Is that all there is to it? What a boring story I'd be writing. And my response to that is say, really? You think it's boring? You tell that to the waitress trying to make ends meet who's been stiffed by three people already. And when she gets your tip, she wants to just cry for joy. Tell that to the grandmother on your block who never gets a visit from anybody. And your half hour with her is an answer to her prayer. Say that to the single mom that your story's boring because that mom's been praying for some man on the block to come up and big brother her child. And then you show up at her door. Tell that person being gossiped about who cried. Tell that to the person who is being gossiped about who cried out to God for someone to stand up for her, and you did. That your story is boring. They won't believe it. As far as they're concerned, you're the angel who arrives on the wings of their prayer, and that is no small thing. God uses small things for great purpose. If only we will stand on the ground that we've been given. 
Frederick Buechner, who I quoted earlier, uh, gives us some helpful advice. He says, listen to your life. See it for the fathomless mystery it is and the boredom and pain of it, no less than in the excitement and gladness. Touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it because in the last analysis, all moments are key moments and life itself is grace. I love that little phrase, all moments are key moments if we allow them to be because we don't know who or what's going to cross our path. You know, a few weeks ago, we had that awful shooting in Paris, a uh, horrible thing. I happened to be in Memphis at the time at a conference, and it was a discussion on everybody's lips. The world really exploded during that week, and rightfully, people were concerned about security, about welfare of their loved ones, about safety, all the things that we've been talking about in our culture and all good topics. There were debates about refugees and immigrations. In some arenas, the talk got ugly, maybe hurtful. And in some ways, talking about these things is a little bit like dancing in a minefield. Uh, Good people are on all sides of all kinds of issues, right? About a week after the Paris attack, I was at a local high school where I volunteer once a week. Mike, Mary, and I both uh, do. Were you there that day when we were eating lunch? Yeah, we were eating lunch. We had four lunch periods where we were talking with groups of kids. And uh, there was great, great discussions in a couple of the lunchrooms at lunchtimes with kids about all the issues that were going on in our culture. And it was beautiful. It was about... What's the meaning of terrorism? What's immigration all about? What, what about refugees? It was thoughtful and respectful. You know, people had different points of view, which is really good. And I remember uh, at one of the lunch periods, a young man spoke up, and he just said, uh, as we continue to talk about this, you need to understand uh, I'm an immigrant and I'm from Syria. <laughs> and uh, he had been here for four years. Uh, he had lived through about a year of the Civil War there. And then he said, and my friend here, he says he's from Syria and has arrived just six months ago. Somehow, in the midst of that, I grabbed the kid that had just come in uh, to town And I said, how are you doing with everything that's going on in the world here? And he says, "Uh, I'm nervous and I'm scared. And I said, "Uh, who are you here with? And he says, my father and I immigrated here. I said, do you have other family there? And he says, yes, my mother and my siblings are in Syria. And I said, so this, all this cultural conversation, what does it do to you? And he says, oh, it just makes me afraid and nervous and I just don't know what to do. And I looked at him as if he was a gift from God to me. I'm not taking a stand, you know. I just looked at this human being and I remember just grabbing him, holding him by the shoulders and saying, I just want you to know. I just want you to know 
that there's a whole lot of people that do care about you and they do care about your family. They do. I'm a pastor at a local church and I just know that there's people that care. And I hope I did speak for you (laughs) because I know people on all sides of different issues that just at their heart really do care. They just don't know how to arrive at that, (laughs) you know. And then he, he said, I have to leave now. And he left. It was a holy moment for me. I felt his pain. He spoke his story into mine. I spoke what I hope were words of hope into his. And I do hope I spoke for you because I know you care because I know you know God cares. What I'm trying to say is this, no moment is wasted. I walked into that school that day not sure what was going to happen. All moments are key moments, especially when we intentionally decide to cover the ground that we stand on. When we remember that we're the plan and in the process of just being there with someone else, we write another story in the 29th chapter of Acts. And in that process, our life begins to change. And in some ways, a new normal is created as the kingdom, the kingdom story keeps on being written and said. You know, a couple of weeks ago, or I read the start of Advent, my wife and I went to the to an Advent prayer service with the Transforming Center. And it's, the Transforming Center is something the church here has been affiliated with for a while. And I, I bumped into an old friend of mine from my days up in the North Shore. And Scott and Sharon and one of their daughters were in attendance at this uh, worship service. And after the service, I said to the daughter, who was 11 years old, I said, so what are you hoping to get for Christmas? And she said, I already know. I don't even have to hope. I said, really? No surprises? She says, nope. What is it? And then she got this big smile on her face. Just this huge smile. And she said, I'm getting nothing. <laughs> Look away a bit. <laughs> You're getting nothing? She said, yeah. Our family's celebrating a Jubilee Christmas this year. Everything we'd spend on us, we're giving away to those who really need it. She goes, it's really cool. If you don't know about the year of Jubilee, it's, you'll find in the book of Leviticus, it was supposed to be a time when the earth would be allowed to rest and debts were forgiven, slaves set free, kind of an extended Sabbath in some respects, time to recalibrate, to prayerfully consider things anew. And this family was deciding to do a Jubilee Christmas because they prayed that Christmas become more real to them. You know, So they went where their prayers were taking them. And, and so every couple of years, they do this thing. No one gets a gift. They give it all, all away. And an 11-year-old girl smiles. That's a great story. <laughs> it's an Acts 29 story. Anita received a letter from a mutual friend of ours who works on the, in the Roseland neighborhood on the far south side of Chicago. That's the f- neighborhood Felicia lives in. They are part of Crew Campus Crusade for Christ. And they feel called to minister to to and work with the poor. And they raise their own support for a salary. Uh, This couple happens to be white. 
They believe that in order for their work to be sustainable, they need to attract and train men and women of color, which makes all the sense in the world. The problem is that most of the folks uh, who are interested in joining them don't have networks of support like they do. And so she and her husband just said, uh, you know, if, if you have any extra money, you can send it to, to this particular fund. But what we're going to do is we've decided, and, and by the way, they don't make a whole lot of money. We're just going to start redirecting, re redirecting some of our support so that we can hire more staff to really impact this neighborhood in a big way. And so they're choosing for the sake of others and for the glory of God to embrace downward mobility. And they too are creating a new normal for their life. And you know what? That's a really, really good Acts 29 story, isn't it? It really is. It's missional. It's sacrificial. It's a kingdom building story. It's where their best prayers took them. So what are your best prayers about? Where are they taking you these days? What's the new normal that's being uh, created in your life? What's your story these days? What's your plan? Because remember, God's called us and he said to us, what? I'm the plan. Say that with me again. I'm the plan. And so what we do is we cover the ground we stand on. And I believe God will expand our territory. We go in the direction our best prayers take us. And the Lord will create a new normal in our life. And before you know it, something deep inside of you will respond to some deep need in our world. And you will step into that calling. And I guarantee you this, when you step into your calling in a fuller way, people will wonder if you're a saint or if you're just crazy. <laughs> and you'll be able to say, I think there's a fine line between sainthood and craziness. <laughs> All I know for sure is that God wants me to be part of his plan. I'm going to write, help write the 29th chapter of Acts. And that's enough. It's good. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for this time together. Just be with us as we consider all that you have for us. As we move into a new year, help us to become more and more the men and the women that you desire us to be. We pray this all in your name and all God's people said, amen. Say it one more time. I'm the plan. You got it.